0: You're listening to Just Another Fanboy, episode number 252, Madman, part 12. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that has to pee, like, a lot. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and I'm coming at you once more like a basket of partially melted chocolate bunnies. And hey, considering that I figured that today might be a good day to get back to Madman, I think maybe we should do just that. And so, as I continue my read through one of my all-time most favorite comic books ever, let's talk about Madman Comics number six. This features the first appearance of Frank Miller and Jeff Darrow's character, The Big Guy. So let's talk about him for just a quick moment. You may know The Big Guy from a book that Dark Horse put out in 1995 called The Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, which was written by Frank Miller and illustrated by Jeff Darrow. So let me give you the little skinny on that, according to Wikipedia. Here's what they say. After appearing in various comic book pinup and poster pages, the big guy first appeared without Rusty in issues six and seven of Mike Allred's Madman Comics, which was part of Dark Horse Comics' now defunct Legend imprint. The property graduated to its own series, a large format two-issue miniseries in 1995, written by Frank Miller and illustrated by Jeff Darrow. The story revolves around an attack on Tokyo by a giant reptilian creature that is originated in an experiment gone wrong, and the failure of newly commissioned Rusty the Boy robot to stop the threat. Subsequently, Japan requested help from the U.S. Armed Forces, whose ultimate defense, the robot Big Guy, launches from his air carrier base and uses his awesome arsenal and good old-fashioned American know-how to save the day. Now, the Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot is available digitally, so maybe one day we'll talk about it here on the show. I do remember enjoying it. Back in the day, Rusty was kind of a play on the whole um, Astro Boy robot guy from, you know, back in the day. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to buy it. And, you know, I'm not always rolling in cash. Anyway, let's get to the main subject at hand. Madman Comics, issue number six. This issue was published on March 1st, 1995. And the title of this issue is Big Guy A Go Go. It was written by Mike Allred with uh, Frank Miller providing dialogue for the big guy. It was, of course, drawn by Mike Allred. However, Jeff Darrow did draw the big guy on the cover. We've got letters by Sean Cannott and Laura Allred provided the colors. Now, the official description of this issue goes like this. Hang on to your hairpiece. It's big guy a go-go. Mike Allred introduces the latest addition to the legend lineup in this thunderous two-part story pinning Frank Miller and Jeff Darrow's big guy against Snap City's super sensation, Madman. Madman's mad scientist buddy, Dr. Boyford, is suffering from an ever-expanding brain that's soaking up information like a roll of quilted bounty. The American government figures Boyford's got one valuable load of head cheese, so it sends its golden retriever, the big guy, to reel in the big fish. Can Madman stop the 10-foot-tall, 1,200-pound armory from kidnapping his old buddy? What doesn't kill him makes him sore for weeks. That's, That's the description. And the very first page... It's got the title, Big Guy a Go-Go. It features the big guy with Madman standing in front of him. They look to be charging toward you as the reader. And the big guy's saying, heads up, pal, stay smart. We've got trouble. And then we've got a couple of caption boxes. I've said it before in these Madman stories. Madman himself, Frank Einstein, he narrates these stories, but it's typically like journal entries, but it's it's not like set up like a journal entry. It's not like Punisher War journal installment, whatever, or Batman's crime book or whatever Batman called his thing. But he's saying here, uh, a real true story, a real true hero. Yep, it happened to me. I haven't lied to you yet. So we take a little bit before we get to the big guy. This issue actually opens up as Frank and Joe... And Dr. Flem are heading back home from the Wee Isles, if you remember the previous issue we talked about in Madman Part Eleven in that issue, there was a guy there that a like an otherworldly demon or other dimensional creature or something had sent to kill Frank, and Dr. Flem had brought along with them the Android known as. Astro Man, who is basically an a, uh, an Android version of Frank, though he doesn't look anything like, he looks like a a, a freaking Android. Uh, but he's got all of Frank's memories or at least a brain scan of Frank that they had taken at one point and uploaded into Astro Man. And Astro Man doesn't want Frank to die. So he takes Frank's place. He steals his costume, knocks Frank out, steals his costume, goes to uh, confront the dude that is out to kill Frank and he gets his head blown off by this guy and Frank of course comes in and and uh and stops the the fella eventually um but Frank's costume is basically incinerated everything except for the mask and so they're they're in this they're their flying car thing. They're, they're I don't know, some kind of Skycraft. And Frank's just wearing regular clothes, basically. But he's got his mask on. But he's, he's extremely uncomfortable. I know we've talked about this in a previous episode. But Frank, he's not, he doesn't wear a costume because he's a superhero. He doesn't put on a costume and go out and fight crime. He does help people who need help. His, his main purpose in life, however, is just helping uh dr Flem with his experiments and that often will get him into adventures or just just uh you know going through his day will, will get him into an adventure but he wears this costume that has a big exclamation bolt on the front of it and it's patterned after uh, an old comic book hero of his mr excitement frank if you remember is dead. He died at one point, and he was brought back to life, and he has no memory of his previous life, and he was named Frank Einstein by Dr. Boyford. He's the guy that brought him back, and he named him after his two uh, cultural and artistic uh, and scientific heroes, um, Frank Sinatra and Albert Einstein. Well, there is something that Frank like the one memory that he seems to have from his previous life is just this childhood feeling of loving this comic book character, Mr. Excitement. And when he wears a costume that's kind of patterned after that uh, comic book hero, it makes him comfortable. He, he's not comfortable. He's, he's uh, you know, he's got gray skin with stitches and, and, and you know, he's basically Frankenstein. That's why they call him Frank Einstein. That's where that's that's why that's there. But he is very um he's very he's a very uncomfortable person socially, uh, just being out amongst people. And a lot of that is due to the fact that he's not happy with the way he looks. He think he he thinks he looks like a freak. And so he wears this costume, which literally covers him from uh, practically the top of his head down to his fingers and toes. The only thing that you can see of him that is him is his hair coming out of the top of his costume. And so he's he's not liking the fact that all he has is this mask. He doesn't like wearing these other clothes. He can't wait to get back to Buzztown so that he can get his costume. Actually, they are headed to Snap City first, so they can drop by uh, Dr. Boyford's house. Dr. Boyford lives in Snap City. Dr. Flem lives in Buzztown. And uh, they know that there's some spare costumes there. so so Frank is he, he's trying to get by. He, he feels a little better about that, but he's still kind of he's he's really uncomfortable. Well, Joe has this box of t-shirts that feature this exclamation bolt on it. and they're they're black. They have the yellow exclamation bolt. Um, I used to own one back in the day, and they had them along with them because this whole this whole adventure, this part of the Madman Comics, this particular storyline started with Frank and Joe getting on an ocean liner, a cruise ship, because Frank was going to perform with a circus on this on this cruise ship, and then that led to uh, there was a whole murder mystery. You go back and listen to the episodes, but. They had apparently brought along this box of T-shirts to sell at concessions. And so she gives him one. He he puts it on and tucks it into his pants. And he feels a little better. He's not 100%, but he, he definitely feels a lot better with that exclamation bolt on his chest. So it's not totally that he feels uncomfortable uh, with the way he looks. There's just something comforting about that symbol because it represents... A, it represents his childhood. It represents uh, the only memory he seems to have of his life before he died. And it's a happy, contented memory. And so just wearing that symbol uh, makes him feel a bit better. So Frank and Joe get dropped off in Snap City, where they have left the the Magna car that they were driving at one point in an earlier issue. And Dr. Phlegm, Takes his his SkyCraft back to Buzztown and says, "All right, well, we'll see you there." And basically tells Frank that he can stay with him for uh, as long as he needs. So they go heading over to Doctor Flem's place, and but they notice outside of well, Doctor Flem shared an office building with a like a detective agency that uh, Joe worked for. She was a secretary for a couple of guys whose. Their their first names are Dean and Mike, and one of them, uh, his last name is Mattress. I can't remember what the other guy, what his name is, but Frank does not like either one of them at all, and he especially does not like Mattress. I think it might be Mike Mattress. That makes more sense in comic book terms, but both of these guys, uh, especially Mattress, is kind of a jerk. Um, I don't remember, again, I don't remember the la- the last name of the other guy. And I don't remember if he's a jerk or not, but they both have glowing red eyes, which should be some kind of you know that should set off some kind of an alarm bell at some point. But Frank just knows he 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 has this ability, you know there's certain things about about this this comic. i I feel like I have to remind uh every everyone y'all about in each each episode since we don't, you know, I sometimes can let a couple months go by between episodes. But Frank has a, a a bit of psychic ability, and he can shake someone's hand or touch somebody, and and he sees images that uh, just gives him feelings about people. And when he shook Mattress's hand at one point, it showed him a lot of very bad things that just he does not like this guy at all. Well, Dean and Mike, they're they're carrying boxes out of the office building, and uh, the other one, not Mattress. Tells Joe and Frank that Mattress roughed up the landlord, and long story short, they've been evicted. And Mattress, of course, is like, roughed up. Come on, I shoved him some. He had it come, and he called me a psycho. He's lucky I didn't rip his throat out, which, you know, sounds kind of psycho to me. And so, Frank, who, you know, in his t shirt, he's wearing these, like, these slacks he's got pulled up to his his belly button, basically. He looks, I think he looks pretty cool. I think he looks pretty slick. And he's kind of leaning back against the Magna car. And he gives Mattress a little flack. In fact, what he says to him, wow, Mattress, it sounds like you're making great strides toward your goal on becoming a better person. And right away, Mattress is pissed off. Shut up, fruitcake, or I'll put you over my knee. And then they, you know, they start showing fists and you go on you just try it and frank's all up in his face you just try it go on and mattress pulls out a pair of guns and puts them to either side of frank's head says how's about i try to make two bullets kiss and hug in the middle of your soft head and frank's reaction is just to immediately he yells he yells try and then just (sighs) darts his head forward bites mattress on the nose and he just clamps down he is just He's got mattress's nose clamped between his teeth. And Mattress is like, oh, let go, let go of my nose. And the other one uh, manages to to separate the two. And, you know, Joe is trying to get in the middle of him. Please, Joe, let's just go to Buzztown. And Frank says, fine, you just remember Mattress. I'm not going to take any more of your lip trash. Which, <laughs> I love that, lip trash. I've never heard that before. But I may use that at some point in the future. So, Mattress, who now has a has a hurt nose, he he tells Joey, "Goes, you help us move some of these boxes." And she's like, "Nah." Her words actually are, "Fat chance. I've still got a week's vacation." So long. And then they leave the two there. And Frank asks aloud, "You know what he's always wondered? Why she can work for guys like that, especially Mattress, who does seem to be quite the psychotic, uh, rage filled, murdering psychopath type of person." And she's starting to question. Why she works for them as well. Originally, I believe she used to say that the money was really good, and now she's starting to wonder if if that's even worth it. And Frank tells her that Doctor Flem has invited him to uh, officially become a lab tester, and that he will pay him to do that on a on a permanent basis. And says, you know, if basically if you quit that job, maybe Doctor Boy or Doctor. I, I'm getting it mixed up now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just gonna. All right. Let me just. Let me just get my head back in the game. And maybe Dr. Flem could hire her on to do something as well. And she's kind of weary or weary. No, that's not leery. Is the word I'm looking for. She's kind of leery about this. She doesn't like the idea of Frank working for Dr. Flem because he. She thinks that Dr. Flem takes advantage of him and uh, puts him in a lot of danger. And frankly doesn't feel like whatever he's going to pay him isn't worth it. And in fact, she she has a couple things to say about Dr. Flam. I don't think she's a big fan of his. And one of the things she mentions is, you know, Dr. Boyford who is in the hospital because he had been injecting his brain with chemicals that was supposed to make him smarter and it's caused his brain to expand to the point that his head is basically a giant brain. Um, that's about four to five times bigger than a normal person's head. And she asks, Frank, why hasn't Dr. Phlegm done anything about this? I thought Dr. Boyford was supposed to be his best friend. It just seems odd that he hasn't tried to help him in any way. And Frank says, well, maybe, you know, he's probably just working it out in his head. And she mentions that she thinks that any experiment that Frank... Uh, helps them with any anything that they create and test out on him. And she says they, but ultimately at this point, she means Dr. Phlegm. I mean, at one point it would have been both Flem and Boyford. But, you know, basically she says that, uh, you know, whatever Dr. Phlegm creates and then uses Frank as his test subject for, which ultimately will uh, typically put Frank's life on the line. He risks his life to to test these things that any any money he makes off of these inventions it Frank should get a cut of that because Frank was in in an instrumental part of bringing these inventions to life and Frank kind of weighs that a bit um and then at one point as they're they're driving uh back to Buzztown they're out in in the country between the two cities snap city is like the big city and Buzztown is kind of like a, a a a small town and they see some lights in the sky and immediately pull over and Frank tells Joe to to take out a camera uh, in case it's a UFO and the lights get closer and closer. And we find out that it is this, it it looks like a big, like a blimp almost. It's a big sky ship that is very kind of retro, kind of world's fair from the twenties, kind of retro, uh, modern design. You know what they thought would have been, would have been modern back then. And, and it's, uh, it's this giant Skycraft thing that uh, they immediately recognize as being the big guy. That's his ship. And they're really excited about it. Apparently, the big guy must be some type of celebrity. Now, I'll pause here in the telling of this story, because I feel my memory is such that I feel like I knew who the big guy and then subsequently rusty the the boy robot i knew who they were when i read this book which tells me that knowing that this is the first appearance of the big guy that this must have been a book i i had to go out and find maybe for some reason i read this book after i read the big guy and rusty the the boy robot i i must because i don't i don't associate that character with madman comics However, knowing that the character, even though uh, the character appeared in various pinups and whatnot before this point, this is the character's first appearance in this issue and then the next issue. And um, I always associate the, the big guy with Rusty the Boy Robot. And I wouldn't have known who Rusty the Boy Robot was at this point if I had been reading this as it came out. So I must not. I feel like I... I feel like I was, but maybe, uh, you know, my memory is always that I discovered Madman when I pulled the first issue of Madman Comics out of a box of new comics when I was working at the comic book store. But maybe I ran into it while I was sorting back issues and it it made me uh, very interested in, in checking it out. And then I had to go back and find some of these other back issues. And that's why I read this after being introduced to the big guy and Resident Evil, the Boy Robot. But I don't know. Memory is a funny thing. Anyway, they see that the big guy's ship is heading back toward where they had come from, back to Snap City, and they're wondering what he's doing in Snap City. And as they are looking back, they notice but from back the way they came, there is a fire alongside the road. And so they zip back there to find out what's going on and they find a, a moving van that's on fire. Frank goes to check out the cab and he can't get in because the thing's on fire and it's too hot and we we can see that the back door to the moving van is open just a bit and and Joe's racing back there to see what she can see and Frank's going to to head head up front to see if anybody is is okay, anybody is in the cab and he has to kick open the window and there's nobody there and They hear somebody in the back of the van in the truck. It's more of a truck. It's not a van. It's not a moving van. It's a moving truck. It's, you know, one of those big box trucks. And uh, they hear somebody calling for help from within the truck. And then suddenly out of the back of the truck comes this guy. We can't see his face. It's in shadows. There are these two small, like child-sized creatures, like toddler-sized creatures clinging to his back, and their heads are about three, two, two, well, twice as big as a normal kid's head, and they are shaped, the heads are shaped and colored like the frickin' moon. They look like the moon. And they're clinging to this guy's back, and they're, they're both calling out the word Freon, F-R-E-O-N, and the guy's screaming, help, they're burning me, I'm on fire! And yet, he just suddenly bursts into flames. Madman knocks both of these, uh what, joe will eventually call moon boys off of the guy's back he knocks the guy to the ground and he starts throwing dirt on him to try to put the fire out when suddenly these two moon boys pick up like a big dresser out of the the back or or a big like a not a dresser like a closet you know like a a wardrobe would be the best description of this thing and they they lift it out of the back of the truck and drop it onto, on top of Frank. And so Frank is now trapped and this guy's screaming and he's on fire and he's telling the guy to roll around in the dirt. And he, he pushes the, the wardrobe off of him and, and runs back towards this guy to stop him. And he has, at this point, he's told Joe that, there is a, a fire extinguisher in the Magna Car, and so she's gone back to get that. And Frank starts fighting with these Moon Boys who now jump on him to stop him from helping the guy that's on fire. And then, of course, there th- as they grab him, he starts to feel uh, burned. He's uh, you know, yeah, that burns <laughs> as they grab a hold of him. And uh, before he can catch fire, he looks like he's about he's starting to catch fire. Joe shows up with the fire extinguisher and squirts it at, at Frank and the two moon boys and they fall off of him. You can tell that they don't like the fire extinguisher and they're like cowering there before Joe who's who's holding the fire extinguisher over them and they're they're yelling out, Freon, Freon! And, and then suddenly like a freaking wormhole or something opens up in the sky and the two of them just get sucked into it. And as they're being sucked away, they are speaking and it's kind of, Partly English and partly not. It doesn't make a lot of sense. They say, uh, NERWING, N-E-H-R, WING, uh, NERWING, AH, uh, DINE, BON, FREON, bye-bye. And then they're gone. Uh, Frank picks up the dude who is now no longer on fire, but he's completely covered head to toe in horrible burns. Um, the way Allred draws him is he's just a, a, a black and red, Charred figure. You can't make out his face at all. So they load him in the Magna Car and they head back to Snap City to take him into the hospital. And as they're doing this, we're getting some more of Frank's narration. And he explains that the Moon Boys, he does, we do see them again at some point down the line. And he even mentions that this guy that they're taking to the hospital, he enters back into Frank's life at some point. But he says, uh, that's a different story for a different time. So when they get to the hospital, they find the big guy's ship parked outside. It's now 6, 10 a.m. I, I don't know if I mentioned that this was all happening uh, in, in in darkness. So um, it must have been in the very early morning hours. It's now sunrise, 6, 10 a.m. Frank carries this guy into the hospital meets a doctor or an orderly or somebody or nurse standing there. And the guy says, come with me. We'll take him up in the elevator to the burn unit. And Frank says, any chance someone could snag me a wheelchair or something? He's not light. And he's getting kind of goopy, which sounds pretty gross. And then we skip to a little bit later. We find out that uh, the the guy is now stable, but sh- the, the nurse or the doctor... Um, it's a doctor. The doctor tells him that there's something odd about the man, that his, his skin is rapidly changing, almost healing via his intestinal tract. She says the best way to describe it, a vomitous material is replacing his seared flesh. And mad Frank scratches his head and he goes, eh? and she says his skin is turning into puke, and and once she said that, I I knew who this guy was. We will see him later, uh, maybe issue eight, maybe issue nine. Anyway, Frank thinks that's gross and says, "Well, like I said, I don't really know the guy. I really must be going." And he decides while he's there, he's going to go check in on Doctor Boyford, even though they're not allowing visitors. He he he's he's just going to take a look. But when he gets to The ward where they're keeping Dr. Boyford, it's supposed to be a a secured ward and he doesn't see any security around. Doors are wide open and he finds that Dr. Boyford is not in his room. And uh, an orderly tells him that that Dr. Boyford's no longer there. They released him to the big guy who had government authorization and that they're probably out front by now. And so Frank runs to a window and he can see... The big guy carrying Dr. Boyford out on some kind of like floating gurney. And as he's watching from the window, suddenly he is there. Literally, he says, And then me, there was me. I didn't have a clue. First, I see the big guy swiping Dr. B, big brain and all, then me, myself, like some eerie form of wish fulfillment. One second, I'm wishing I was down there to find out what was happening. And in a blink, there I was like some freakily realistic movie show. So he is seeing himself in, he, he's now in costume. He's in the white costume with the the, the black boots and the blue gloves or uh, gray gloves. Maybe they're like a bluish gray and the big red exclamation bolt on his chest and he's, he's holding his orange disc gun and he's uh, uh, grappling with the big guy. And so Frank, seeing himself down there, tries to get down there quickly to find out what's going on. And he gets on the elevator. And again, we get a bit of narration. Because this is coming from a journal, uh, we often are privy to some of his innermost thoughts. And even though the action of the book is he is in desperate hurry to get downstairs, the narration says, I've always liked elevators, a magic room, doors open, and you're always somewhere else. Just not fast enough. Well, the doors finally open, and he runs outside wearing his chinos. Was is that what you'd call these kind of pants? I, I, I don't know. They're they're like a, a tan slacks. Again, I think he looks very groovy in his short sleeve shirt and his slacks belted up to his his belly button. Uh, but as he arrives outside, the big guy is flying away, and he's too late. But then Doctor Flem comes walking up. Frank says, "You know, Doctor Flem, what are, what are you doing here? Do you know what's going on?" He took Doctor Boyford. Flem doesn't know what's going on. He he doesn't know why the big guy took Doctor Boyford. But he says, uh, "We may be able to find out." Hurry, get to Buzztown, and then provides him with some explanation. We don't see that. Uh, we see Frank and Joe back in the Magna Car, heading back to to Buzztown, or heading to Buzztown. And his narration saying that Doctor Flem quickly explained what happened. And so then when they get to Buzztown, there's Dr. Flem in the house. And we learn very quickly that uh, this was all due to time travel. Frank, immediately upon uh, entering Dr. Flem's home, says he needs a huge favor. They need to use his time rocket, which we saw in the second Madman series, which took Madman back to uh, took Frank back to prehistoric times and Doctor Flem says, "No, nope, you can't borrow it. I was actually going to destroy it today. We can't be messing with the timeline anymore." And I think we actually saw a bit of it in the first first issue of this this third series, Madman Comics. I think they used it to go back in time and build Doctor Flem's lab under his under his uh, house. But anyway, Frank explains to him, "Look, a version of you from the future visited me in Snap City and uh, told me that." I I need to do this because a future me was already in Snap City, and he, he explains that the the what he saw in Snap City was a future version of himself. And uh, Doctor Flem says, "Oh, so we're in a time loop. All right, so I'll, I really don't have any choice." And they they jump in the 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 time car, the time rocket. There's a really funny moment though. Uh, if you remember, there was a character that was introduced early on in this third series named Mott, from the planet Hoople. He is an alien, and he's just kind of a nice guy. And and he uh, he's down in the lab with Gale, Dr. Gale Gale, who is always in bandages because she was uh, tattooed all over her body against her will. And she uh, tried to design something that would take the tattoos away, and it made her completely invisible, except for the tattoos. Anyway, Mott's down there as they they rush down to get into the time rocket and Mott's like, hey guys, how you doing? And uh, Frank just says, hey, gotta go and runs off with Dr. Phlegm and Mott says, what gives? And Joe tells him, it's a long story, let me tell you. And so Frank and Dr. Flem, because Dr. Flem has to go with him because he has to be there to tell the other version of Frank that it's a time loop and he has to go to Buzztown and get the, the time rocket and all that. But, they get back, they get to the hospital, they go back to 7 a.m. And we see Frank now in his in his costume attacking the big guy who is basically, you know, he says, where are you taking him? And the big guy says, that's classified, son. Frank says, hold on there, big fella. That's my friend you're toting off. To which the big guy's reply is, he won't be hurt. This is all for his own good. And then that's when they start fighting. The big guy, of course, you know, he's a big seven foot tall robot and he sticks Frank in a dumpster and places a Volkswagen Beetle on top of the dumpster to keep him in. Frank manages to kick the side of the dumpster out. Uh, but again, he's too late as the the big Skycraft or whatever his his uh, his ship is called is starting to take off. But Frank manages to jump on board the outside of the, the big Skycraft and is clinging on to the windshield as they're taking off and he says, oops, in his, in his narration, oops, brainstorm, riding a rocket makes you think. Options fly through my mind as my fingers began to slip. It occurred to me, maybe I should have caught one more time trip with Dr. Flem slightly earlier. Then maybe I could have snuck inside the cargo hold. Oh, well. And as he's about to slip free, the big guy opens up the window, reaches out, and he grabs a hold of Frank's arm, we're assuming to pull him in and then that's that's when the issue ends. Um again, I say this every single episode. I love this book so much. There's so many things about this book, you know, little just little things and big things, just all just all this little and big stuff that come together to 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 make these stories just so wonderful to read and to look at because again, they're beautiful. I love the artwork. There's a a small moment when Frank is looking out the window and he sees himself fighting the big guy and he starts rubbing his eyes and then he shakes his head back and forth like to to, to clear the cobwebs from his brain. He can't believe what he's seeing. And there's a little bit of uh, noise effects written in that says, wubba wubba, which is the sound of him shaking his head back and forth. Wubba wubba. And uh, again, the look of Frank in his Sl- uh, uh, short sleeve t-shirt and slightly baggy pulled up to the belly button uh slacks he just looks really slick he looks there's there's just this look this feel in this book that kind of like the big guy and his ship uh looks as if it was designed in the 20s uh you know this pop art modern this is what we think everything will look like in the future, you know, in the 90s, back in the 20s, this is what we think everything's going to look like in the future. And and yet, it that's just part of it. It's not everything isn't like that. I mean, everything, of course, cars look like cars. Regular the 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 moving truck, for example, looked like a moving truck. It didn't look like the type of moving truck that somebody in the in the 20s would have designed as a moving truck from the 90s. Uh but the for for example, the style of Frank, the way he looks in this t-shirt with these pants, He looks like uh, somebody from the, the, well, the 20s, 30s, 50s, 60s, you know, wearing a, wearing a, you know, like they're in their suit, but they took their suit jacket and their, their, their dress up shirt, their button up shirt, they took it off. So they're just wearing their t-shirt and their suit pants and their, their uh, dress shoes because his t-shirt is, it's, it's not baggy. It's not a loose fitting t-shirt. It's, it, it, it clings to him kind of tight, like an undershirt would. And I don't know. I just, I love the look of this. I love the little moments. I always love Frank's thoughts throughout the book, the things that he thinks about and his relationship with Joe. I talk about that all the time too. I just, I just love the two of them. They're such a great couple. I love that she, she really looks out for him. She's, she's concerned about the fact that he's kind of hitched his sleigh to Dr. Phlegm, who she doesn't, she just, she doesn't feel like Dr. Phlegm has Frank's best interests in heart, in, 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 in his heart. Is that, I'm not sure the phrase. I had the phrase in my brain. In mind, his best interests in mind. Yeah, that's, that's the phrase I'm looking for. She just, you know, she's very protective of Frank, uh, because she loves him and she doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. And she just does not know. She doesn't feel like she can trust dr phlegm and she feels that dr phlegm has only his own interests in mind and and to 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 dr phlegm frank is just a tool to 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 get what he wants in the end now i don't know that i necessarily feel that way about dr phlegm um i think dr phlegm is your kind of your typical mad scientist type he's like a reed richards type who maybe is just so into his own brain and his own thoughts you know he's probably on the spectrum and uh doesn't think about other people's feelings all that much, not on purpose. And that when he does, you know, once he realizes, because I, I feel like there have been moments where we we see Dr. Phlegm as a good man and that I think he's just absent-minded, but Joe doesn't like it because she doesn't want her man to get hurt because she loves him. And uh, Frank feels the same thing about her. And uh, I just, I just love that about the two of them. They're they are their their partners in every way, and I, I love it. Uh, so yeah, um, the debut of the big guy, I really, he's not in this issue very much, but I do rather like the character from this from this introduction. He's obviously just a a, a machine, apparently, uh, AI artificially intelligent. I don't know if there's somebody inside it controlling him. He's got an antenna that sticks out the top of his head. And the way his head sh- is shaped, it almost looks lo- looks like he's wearing a uh, like a hard hat, like a construction worker would wear, because it's got a little visor on it. But he's got a, an, an antenna coming out of the top of his head. That there, every time he speaks, little little lightning bolts kind of come out of the the top of the antenna. So I just I don't know if if this is a robot. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember if he's a robot or if he's got somebody inside him controlling him like Iron Man, or if there's somebody sitting somewhere else controlling him, I I don't know, but I, I do like the character. He's very much your typical uh seems to be, you know, American soldier who's just out he's just out doing the doing the job that, that he's been asked to do by the by the American government. He refers to Madman at one point as son, kind of like Captain America would do. Uh there's a moment because when Frank's kind of grappling with him the big guy says, no, I'm sure you don't mean any harm, son, and neither do I, but you've got to back off and let me do my job. And then as, he is, as he's leaving, he stuffs Frank into the dumpster and he's telling him, I won't report you. I'm sure you meant well, but the security of the nation is at stake. And then as he's starting up the engine on his Skycraft thing, he says, hope that boy didn't hurt himself. He didn't seem like a bad sort. He's just, uh, there's something about him I like. I, I automatically like this this guy, the big guy. He's he's not here to hurt anybody. He's doing a job. He's doing what he feels needs to be done. And he's not doing it uh, in, a, in any way that uh, would endanger anybody else, or at least he's trying not to. Um, really good first part of what looks to be a fun two-part adventure. The cover to the second issue, to me... I haven't looked it up, but it looks like it was completely done by Jeff Darrow, and it it looks freaking crazy amazing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to to reading that book. I'm not gonna right away. I'm gonna wait until it's time to to do another episode. But again, I'm gonna say this again. I say this every time. Are you reading along? Do you like Madman? Are you reading them at the pace that I am reading the the issue and then listening to the episode? Are you saving? You know, maybe you're listening to this episode uh, two years from now and you've saved up all the episodes. You've been skipping them as I've recorded them and you're waiting until I'm done so that you can go in and binge them all as you read the books. But uh, either way, I would like to hear from you. Just another fanboy at gmail.com. Are you reading Madman? Are you enjoying it? How did you get into Madman? Are you reading it because of my episodes? And have I disappointed you completely? or <laughs> have you been uh, a big fan like I have since the 90s? Let me know just another fanboy at gmail.com. You can also go over to the forums forums.justanotherfanboy.com. There will be a thread for this episode. You can you know, a talk back thread. you can leave your thoughts there as well. Heck, if you wanted to get out your old phone and make a little voice memo type thing, record your thoughts. And email them to me at just another fanboy at gmail.com. You can do that as well. Uh I'm gonna play that kind of stuff on the show. I wanna bring back listeners feedback. You know, listening to these just another fanboy classic episodes, and I'm 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 doing just just, you know, listeners feedback and there's voicemails and 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 emails and and posts from the forum from back then and and uh I really enjoyed uh that as part of doing the episode back then because it really felt like uh, there was a community and and frankly it it, it helped me feel like people were listening because uh i think it was derek coward derek coward from comic book noise used to always say and he probably still says it today that the greatest currency a podcaster can receive is uh your feedback your thoughts your responses your emails you know it I can look at the numbers and see that so many people downloaded the show, but that doesn't tell me that you're listening to it. it. doesn't tell me that you're enjoying it. That's how podcasters like us get paid, get paid with your kind words. And it 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 gets us through the night and it gives us the 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 inspiration and the gumption to keep going and to make that next episode and make them more fun for you. On the other hand, when I start getting feedback and I know that people are listening, it makes me kind of nervous you know, do you remember, uh, did you ever watch WKRP in Cincinnati? There was an episode where Dr. Johnny Fever found out that, uh, exactly how many people were listening to WKRP. The, the ratings came out and they, his show did very well. And, you know, this is how many, on average, how many people are listening. And once he realized that people are actually listening to his show, he kind of froze on the air at one point, you know, I get that. I get it. Cause, uh, Unless you think about that, as far as I'm concerned, you're just talking to yourself. And then once you once you learn that people are listening, especially when I found out, I find out, you know, people I know. When I find out somebody somebody that I know is listening, it almost makes it even more weird. Not that I discourage people that I know from listening, but there's always a part of me that's like, oh man, Jimmy Joe just heard me say that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta see him tomorrow or or whatever, you know. But still, eh. That's just me saying my saying my stuff just like Frank would do. that that's my own version of Frank's narration boxes, a, a peek into my mind as you're listening to the show and just like it's a peek into Frank's mind as you're reading through his adventures. But with all that being said, we've reached the point of the show where I say, I want to thank you all for spending this time with me today. And you know I have it actually written down where I say, I had fun. How about you? But I always have fun. And I hope that you had fun. And again, I'd love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to at gmail.com and tell me what you thought of this particular episode right here. And uh, I'm going to read that out on a future episode. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show. Whatever podcasting app you're using to listen to the show, subscribe. That way you don't miss an episode. You can even leave us a five-star review if your podcasting app Allows you to do that. And really, honestly, you know, when I talk about never missing an episode, if you truly don't ever want to miss an episode, then you should subscribe to my newsletter. It's called Steven Says Stuff, and you can find it over at justanotherfanboys.substack.com. It is completely free, and I'm going to email you every time I release an episode, whether it's Just Another Fanboy or the upcoming Superman Super Show or event or else. I am going to email you whenever I release an episode, and the email will have uh, the listener right there. You can listen to it right there um, or open it up in your podcast app of choice. The theme song for this episode was written and performed by Derek Nybarger of Atomic Zombie Records. You can find more of his music over at AtomicZombieRecords.Bandcamp.com. And hey, do you want to be cool? I don't know why I say that every time I have it written out. Hey, do you want to be cool? Because, you know, you're already cool. You're listening. That's cool enough. But if you want to take it up even uh, higher, if you want to go up another notch, join us over at the Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Not only are you going to get the complete warm and fuzzy feeling deep down in the cockles of your heart, knowing that you're helping me support my family, but you're also going to get immediate access To the other podcast, the exclusive podcast I do just for my patrons. It's called My Other Podcast. That releases every Friday and, with rare exception, is only available to my patrons. A dollar a month, that's it. That's all you need. That's just $12 a year. And it's really easy to do. You go and make your pledge, and then a flipping dollar comes out of your bank once a month. Just boop, dollar gone, goes to Stephen, buying milk for his family. That's pretty cool. You can join now at patreon.com slash or And don't forget about the message boards, forum.justanotherfanboy.com. Get over there, join up, be part of the community, talk about comics, talk about music, talk about freaking books and TV shows and movies and other podcasts and all kinds of nerdy stuff, games and hobbies and, and just, just all kinds of stuff over there. And, uh, yeah, come do that. All the links that I have given you so far will be in the show notes. So with all that out of the way, join me back here on Thursday for another JAF Classic episode. This week we're going back to November the 6th of 2006. And uh, there comes a point in the episode where I get so angry over something that I am reading. Uh, You know, a little bit of copy, uh, talking about a particular podcast. I get so upset that I, I... just burst into a fiery rage and i i walk away i walk away from the show and norman and gary are forced then to finish out the show it's a lot of fun it's a hoot it's a hoot it's a hoot after that make sure you come back here next tuesday and uh i don't know what i'm going to be talking about next tuesday but it's probably gonna be a lot of fun until then my name is steven and i'm just another fanboy. be nice to each other folks be nice Be nice to each other. That's something that you can do, and I can do, and it will make the world a better place. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.